Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders from different sectors every week. Now, our guest this week comes from the healthcare industry, but also has a background in higher ed, which allows him to keep strengthening the importance of this convergence that's happening between universities, corporations, and medical systems. Joe Muscola is the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Management at Northwell Health. Joe is responsible for leading the strategic initiatives that are driving new revenue streams and further integrating learning and development for team members into their people strategy. In fact, Joe leads the team that's responsible for Northwell Health being awarded for the first time as a Fortune 100 best place to work over the last two years, as well as numerous distinctions for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Now together, we'll discuss lessons learned from the 2020 health crisis, from team building to valuing differences in thought, as well as changes in the hybrid work model, and what to expect from the next generation of healthcare C-suite executives. We'll also talk about the resistance to change that exists in the healthcare industry and how digitally native organizations are influencing the future of health. Now, before we get started, Please click on the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis so that you can stay in touch with our most recent content about leadership in the age of personalization. Let's get started. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Joe, welcome to the show. It's great uh, to have you, and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Glenn. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with Scott as well. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Well, thank you, Joe. Well, look, as we always do at the beginning of the show, we want to get to know you. Who are you as an individual? So we got a few questions lined up for you. Here we go. So, All right. Joe, Sorry, when, so, so when and where do you find your most authentic self as an individual? Yeah, you know, I, um, I, I love team-based activities. Uh, I, uh, I play ice hockey. Um, I play goalie, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I find the team environment, whether it was from my background as a clinician, whether it was uh, now today, just sort of being on the ice or it's being with my team, any place where I can just sort of kick things around, uh, hear the good, the bad and the ugly all at the same time and uh, not have people guarded, quite frankly, uh, that, that's where I can be myself and I can be myself if they're being the, themselves. Um, and, and that's what I, I enjoy the most. Well, what an irony. You want to be in an environment that, where people don't feel they need to be guarded, but yet you're a goalie that tries to guard the puck from entering the net. So what have you learned about leadership from being a, an ice hockey goalie? Yeah, you can't always win. Sooner or later, the puck goes in the net. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Uh, that's what I tell my, my two girls all the time. And, uh, and that's what life is. It's about learning lessons and and going on to the next uh, uh, challenge and seeing how you can excel. 
well, hey, I mean, can, what's the average goal that's scored in a hockey game? You know, maybe two, is it, for an opponent? Uh, not for me. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I think maybe for a professional goalie, that sounds perfect. But for me, it's a, it's a little bit higher than that. Uh, right. I won't divulge my number on this show. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. So, so let, let's continue here. Let's get to know you a little bit more. What is one of your favorite places in the world and why? Yeah, to me, that's an easy one. I, I will say it is uh, Disney World. Um, why? It represents family to me. Uh, it represents time with my family. Um, it's something we enjoy doing together, uh, all of us. Uh, it represents a place where uh, talk about being authentic self. You get to be a kid, uh, and that's always fun. So you serve as a board member at Farmingdale State College and Nassau Community College. What inspires you to serve higher education? Yeah, I think it's twofold. And I was uh, introduced to this opportunity when I was the head of HR for Northwell. And it started off with our need for community colleges and, and state colleges to help some of our pipeline growth and development. Uh, as we further, as I got further involved with those two organizations, I began to see how similar our missions were. It was, it, and it is serving the communities uh, one, obviously, from an educational standpoint, one from a healthcare standpoint. You begin to realize how so much of healthcare is education as well. Uh, you're educating patients, you're educating the community, you're talking about health issues, and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. But, you know, how do we as healthcare not uh, be viewed as a place where you go only when you're sick? Hmm. But how do we influence someone's uh, overall well being, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual? Um, and and that, that requires education. Um, so from two, two vantage points, one, the, how education influences healthcare, how healthcare influences education. Um, and then the second part is, you know, uh, healthcare organizations are economic drivers. Uh, we create jobs. They tend to be the largest em employers in a given community, in a state. Um, and so by virtue of us partnering closer with educational organizations, it allows us to show them, uh, where we are headed and then hopefully build roles, build uh, in skill sets and in individuals that can apply right in healthcare. That's great. And I love this intersection between healthcare and, and higher ed. We, we talk a lot, of it, a lot about it on this show. And I mean, I mean we need to groom this next generation uh, to help us uh, see healthcare in a new light. I think uh, this is probably one of the drivers of, of your learnings in healthcare too, because as I always say, we're both teachers and students. You know, you play a pivotal role in, on these boards to get a better sense of how perhaps you can influence what the future of higher education is given the evolving needs of healthcare. So uh, thank you for that, Joe. So on that note, you're now the new executive vice president of enterprise management at Northwell. I know you, when you and I met, you were the chief uh, human resources officer at Northwell. Uh, what are, what are the types of problems that you enjoy solving for the most? And, and as you think about that question, how does that help you make the leap from a CHRO to an EVP of enterprise management? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so I've always viewed my sort of career uh, as more of a mission. How, how can I, in my, whatever role I've held, uh, make a positive impact in people's lives. I think what the the, the hunger I have had is how do I take uh, that from an individual to many individuals 
and how can we how can we do that in a in a way that's uh, influential? Uh, and so, looking back over the course of my career, starting out as a physician assistant in cardiothoracic surgery, and then growing that into more operational roles where we focused on uh, neurology and uh, and neurosurgery, I think that afforded me the opportunity to create some programs with some amazing clinical leads um, uh, that really impacted community. As my career progressed in, into human resources and now into this enterprise uh, services, enterprise management role, uh, you begin to think about how these key services in a large integrated healthcare system like our own, like Northwell, um, can really impact how we deliver care. And I, I think when you think of the, these types of services that I have the privilege of, of leading, uh, you know, IT, facilities, um, um, human resources, this is where we are intersecting with our customer, uh, with our communities. Uh, it, they have to have a point of view about how we do that, uh, the seamlessness at which we do that, the experience for which we do that, how we make people feel when they're in our care. Uh, and, and then more importantly, as I was sort of describing before, how we can cre create this connection to them over a longer period of their life, as opposed to when they're just uh, acutely ill. Uh, and so I think this role in particular, in order to be able to do those things, it's almost like, you know, uh, I, I'm truly grateful for our CEO who's, you know, placed me in these roles. You have to understand people first um, and, and their behaviors and how they act and what they, uh, what they are actually asking for versus what they need. Um, and I think that's something that we work hard to study every day. And obviously that is a big part of what our jobs are as leaders is to listen and to observe uh, so that we can then um, influence and implement. Well, you just gave the business case for why we need to lead in the age of personalization. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of a joke there, but no, but the truth is this is what the age of personalization is telling us. It's no longer about the institution defining the individual, whether it's an employee or, or a patient, but how the patient and the employees are now starting to influence the ways we learn, work, uh, lead, and live. And clearly, uh, that was made evident uh, during the pandemic. And, and I think that this has shaken the industry quite a bit, may, certainly made the industry rethink uh, what its uh, purpose is. And one might say, well, gee, Glenn, we knew our purpose all along, but I think it's made people really think about what is our role? What is our mission? And really think about what is the mission of our consumers who are our patients and what they now expect from us. So on that note, Joe, I recently spoke with um, a CEO from a healthcare system, and um, she was quite direct with me and said, Glenn, I'm concerned about uh, the future of healthcare, uh, especially on the on the provider side, and I'd like for you to react to these three things that this particular CEO was uh, concerned about. Joe, uh, the first thing she said is, uh, "We have a tendency to emulate rather than innovate." In other words, we see imitation as innovation. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um... You know, it's, it's, it is interesting um, when JP Morgan, when Amazon or Google comes out with an article about how they're uh, getting into healthcare, um, 
you know, it, it's an interesting thing how it's picked up in the media and it's like, wow, they're going to fix healthcare. Right. Um, you know, and then at other times, you'll hear people talk about, well, you know, if uh, our state or if our federal government did X, Y, or Z, then we would move to that in, in, in healthcare. Um, I think many uh, healthcare organizations have the tendency to sort of uh, 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 do exactly what it was described is, you know, they're, they're going to try and compete by emulating and just being a little bit better uh, in that emulation. But rather than really completely uh, overhaul, redesign, and come up with something uh, new and innovative, um, I think you know. Obviously, I'm a bit biased, but I I do think that that is what separates Northwell from many of the rest. I do think we allow ourselves to try new things, to innovate, and then, quite frankly, fail. Um, and when we do fail, we fail fast, uh, and then we get right back up and we try it again. Um, and, and that comes from our CEO down, where it is constantly trying to innovate and take a position on things, uh, just as uh, our CEO has done with gun violence, um, and really taking a national position on gun violence. We now question patients when they come into our hospitals, whether or not they have a firearms on them. And it just adds to the overall safety of not only the, those other individuals within our care, but then those individuals within uh, uh, the hospital. This is not a Second Amendment issue, as we like to say. This is strictly an issue of safety and safety in our mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. And being one of the first to take a national position on this, uh, I think is the kinds of innovative things that uh, healthcare organizations need to do to, if we're really serious about impacting care. You know, this is why, you know, one of the reasons you're on the show here, because we know that Northwell is a market leader. And uh, this is why I wanted to ask you these questions, because uh, I, I, I know that you have perspectives and opinions that would be helpful to the industry. So let's go to the next question. Regulations are not question. Next point of view that the CEO had uh, and concern about the future. Regulations, government regulations are used as an excuse to drive real change. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about transformation, uh, but outcomes only inspire incrementalism. Now, why can't we do more of what we did uh, during the pandemic? Any thoughts on this point? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a great call, and I'll bring it to uh, um, current events. Uh, rarely does a day go by where you don't open the paper and there's an article about vaccination and vaccination mandates. Um, I think some have said, well, if the federal government or if the state government just mandated, it would make our job so much easier. Uh, similarly, I, I read an article uh, recently that described that only 53% of healthcare workers across this country are actually vaccinated. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a, an incredibly disappointing percentage, knowing mm -hmm. that here we are six months into a vaccination part of this pandemic. Um, you begin to then look at, okay, well, what is the obligation of uh, healthcare organizations and what is the, their obligation to keep people healthy uh, while they are uh, within our care? It's sort of ironic. One of our physician leaders said this yesterday, just yesterday, we were on a town hall. He said, it's sort of ironic uh, that um, uh, you, will, you, you need to know my vaccination status for me to go to a Knicks game. Um, uh, but I don't need to know your vaccination status to take care of you in a critical care unit. Hmm. And so what is the position of... Uh, and yes, mandates are uh, hard and uh, sort of crude uh, ways to sort of come at an issue. Uh, I will say at Northwell, we've 
we've opted to continue to sort of do this in a bit of a progressive way where we opt to educate in a much more aggressive way and deal with some of the concerns and the issues, uh, helping to uh, see people where they are and then engage them in a conversation uh, and a scientific conversation and not one that is uh, based on uh, just sort of um, uh, rumor and innuendo, uh, but rather really taking them through the science. Not, not so much an issue of how did we get here, um, but rather, how can we prevent it from going further? Thank you, Joe. And now the third and final comment the CEO made is, how do we redefine the role of the CEO, the, the C-suite in amongst healthcare providers, that we need to be wise enough to evolve as the needs of our industry evolve to inspire future generations to want to be part of this next generation of healthcare. And we need to prepare ourselves now. How do you respond to that, Joe? Yeah, you know, I, I, I have the absolute privilege to be around some pretty extraordinary CEOs of healthcare organizations around the country. And I think uh, those who are, uh, you know, doing exactly what you just uh, questioned in the, in the two prior questions, uh, challenging the status quo, uh, not waiting for, uh, you know, regulation to come upon them, but rather, you know, uh, going where we need to go. Um, you. I, I think the, the most important part is how do we get that sort of conversion of more CEOs like that, that are uh, thinking more broadly around uh, how we can impact care uh, with a capital C, uh, how we can uh, be a better community partner uh, to deal with some of the social issues that uh, uh, social determinants and things of this sort that we, that we know are impacting care. And then, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, uh, providing the care to the right person at the right time uh, in a way that has the, the biggest impact back to this notion of the N of one uh, and making sure that uh, care is uh, specific to that individual and exactly what that individual needs, regardless of gender, race, uh, uh, ethnicity, et cetera. Uh, I think there's a, there, there's a good handful of CEOs that are doing that. Uh, and I do think in this sort of um, transition that we're seeing many organizations uh, go through, the skill set of that CEO is changing. Um, and uh, I'm an optimist, as you can probably tell. Uh, and I do think that this, this sort of next uh, round of CEOs, that next generation of CEOs, uh, while they have uh, a lot of things that they'll have to solve for, uh, yeah. there's uh, some really, really incredible leaders uh, out there already today. Learn so from Joe, what, what do you think some of those skills need to be for future, whether it's a CEO or someone in the healthcare C-suite? Yeah, I, I think it's very similar to some of, uh, uh, you know, the terms you've used already. And that is one that, you know, they've got to be able to inspire. Uh, there's a tremendous, you know, these are large, this is a people uh, or business, if you will, right? Sure. And so the notion of inspiring not only the physicians, but the uh, uh, the, the, the community members, key stakeholders, other organizations. Let's assume we can't do it all by ourselves. And so, you know, partnerships, unique partnerships with, uh, you know, organizations like the Googles, the Whole Foods, the, uh, the Amazons, et cetera. These are things that we're going to need to think differently about. They're going to need to have a business acumen that is uh, 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 definitely far different from you know, the way uh, the acumen that was needed maybe, you know, 10, 20 uh, years ago, the, the, it, it's a much more complex uh, uh, industry. Uh, it is a huge part of the GDP, as we certainly know. Uh, and there's many who are anxious for uh, 
the, I'll call it the problem uh, to be solved. Uh, and what are the problems? How much it costs, the, the, the lack of access, uh, the uh, level of innovation. I think back to your, your comments around COVID, I think one thing that we showed uh, the world is, is how fast we can innovate. And as a result, they, they are correct in their uh, sort of assumption and demand. Why can't we innovate that quickly every day? Yeah. Why haven't you found the cure to cancer? Yeah. You found the, uh, uh, the cure to COVID in less than a year. Uh, why haven't you uh, figured out a way to show me price transparency on my bill uh, and predict what that's going to be before I go into the hospital? Uh, I think there's a lot more complex questions that need to be answered uh, in this next five to 10 years. So Joe, what did you learn as a leader uh, during the pandemic? And not just that, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, I uh, learned a lot about myself. I uh, learned uh, the sort of the meaning of team to even the next level. Hmm. Uh, the problems were coming at us so quickly. Uh, and many of which didn't seem to have an answer, uh, that uh, you had to rely on all those around you, all those skill sets around you to solve these problems. Uh, I think the other thing uh, I truly valued was this notion of an integrated healthcare system. There are just certain things that, um, uh, uh, you know, scale affords you when you look at certain challenges you have in, in getting personal protective equipment, where you can procure those items from, uh, how to distribute vaccination in a more robust way. Uh, these are uh, things that I certainly appreciate um, and, uh, and where we as a health system and the level of coordination that we have really, really counts. The other thing I'll say is you truly learn the importance of culture. You know, uh, we were preparing for COVID uh, a decade before it ever was a, 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 a notion. Uh, and it's because the, the culture that we create in our organizations allows us to manage through very difficult times uh, like we've experienced these last 15 months. Without it, uh, you fail. Um, and I think we certainly saw that come to life. You know, personally, uh, uh, just calm in the eye of a storm. Um, people are watching, our teams are watching. If you're stressed, they will be stressed. If you're calm, they'll, they're, 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 I won't say they'll be calm at the same time, but they, uh, you know, they will at least, you'll put them at ease a little bit more. And so that, that shadow of a leader, as we uh, describe it, uh, becomes incredibly important. So you talked uh, about the importance of relying on many different types of people because we didn't have all the answers. What, what did that teach you specifically around team, team building and the need to value different thoughts? Yeah, I think... Um... That, uh, that, that value, uh, you know, this, the problems are coming at you too fast. Yeah. So it's almost as if, and you're, it's almost as if you're that triage nurse uh, in, the emergency, in the emergency department, right? You've got all these patients coming at you and your job is to sort of uh, evaluate and then triage and move on to the next level of care who's going to deal with that or, or further evaluate that. And I think that's the, the lesson learned. We don't, you know, in, evaluate the problem as it comes in and then push it off to where uh, it needs to be solved. And, and don't feel like you need to have ownership of every single step of the way because it, it, would, it would literally be impossible. And in those scenarios where you, where you try to do that, uh, reality gave you a better uh, lesson and that is because it would break you. Uh, 
the days were too long, the challenges were too intense. Uh, and yet, if you can sort of begin to triage, segment, uh, pass, uh, pass along, and then re-engage in it along the way, of course, just to say, okay, great, I understand how that's working. Uh, and that's where, at the same time, too, what we would say, too, is you take your badge off. Um, titles don't matter. Uh, the outcomes matter. And that is a really, really hard notion for people to wrap their heads around. You know, in, in these types of situations, you get into a little bit more of a uh, emergency management uh, sort of command structure, uh, but you can't solve for everything in that way. Um, and so putting the sort of title at the door um, and then just allowing the group to solve as a collective whole uh, is probably one of the most important ingredients. Another validation for leading in the age of personalization, you guys started to respect each other as individuals and probably removed some unknown silos and brought more people together to understand the value of not just inclusivity, of, but also diversity of thought and uh, probably getting more out of some people that you didn't know had certain capabilities before you got into them. So um, this is very good insight. Now, Scott, where are we? What, what, are, you, what are you getting out of this? Um, I keep circling around the, the whole um, career is mission. And when you talked about career as mission, Joe, it was specifically about not just having a positive impact where you are, basically leaving a trail of positivity or, or, or you know, uh, goodness behind you. Uh, but then you, you specifically talked about scaling out. Um, I want to talk to you as the, as the goalie leader that you are. You, you, you find comfort on the ice in probably the most precarious part of that team's sort of outlay, right? Um, and, and that's where you find comfort. So I'm wondering if you can talk to me a little bit about um, something that I know at least I'm going through, but I think everybody's going through. And it's this, this moment in the pandemic where we're, we're dealing with essentially figuring out where we are now and where to go next. And ultimately, one of the things that's, I think, challenging a lot of folks that I'm talking to is the fatigue, right? Like we've been playing these, this whole season and, and the next season just started and we haven't had a chance to rest and recoup. and so. I'm talking about fatigue and rebooting. And from your perspective, I'm just curious, um, you personally, as a goalie leader, how are you doing um, in regards to that? And what are you doing? What maybe insight might you offer uh, those of us that are kind of struggling with the reboot and the fatigue and trying to figure out a way to kind of get back on the ice? And then the follow-up to that is, what are you doing to scale out? Because you say yeah. you do it for yourself and then you scale that sucker out for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, let me maybe share this story. And that is, uh, I was talking with a hospice nurse uh, recently, and it was a more of an exit interview, if you will. Um, and she was basically like, look, you know, I've done this for a long time. I've seen it through COVID, uh, holding people's hands as they die. And uh, I'm just done. Uh, I'm just not sure I could do it anymore. Uh, so the question was, well, are, are you staying in healthcare? And the answer was no. Uh, I'm moving on to something else, uh, something that, you know, you know, gives me more joy, uh, uh, out, you know, outside of uh, a hospital, outside of a patient's bed, et cetera. Um, and I think uh, we had a burnout issue within healthcare before COVID. Uh, yeah, we have a burnout. Point. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, it's even worse now. Um, something that we're doing at Northwell, to, to exactly your point, Scott, is we're taking a little bit of what, uh, what I call a timeout. Uh, and we're just celebrating. Um, 
we are going, leadership is going uh, throughout the organization. We're just doing these pop-up celebrations at all of our facilities, many of our, our, our practices, and we're just celebrating with the staff. And, and, and you say, okay, well, what's it a celebration of? Life. Uh, celebration of life, celebration of, of team, celebration of what we've, we have, what we've endured over these last 15 months. And to your point, we're not, it's not, we're not done yet. You know, we're, we're expecting a difficult flu season ahead of us. Uh, we still have the challenge of vaccination. Uh, we still have um, uh, some concern, cultural concerns uh, that we have to deal with in terms of not only what the outcomes of COVID were, what the outcomes of vaccinations have been, um, and hesitancy in that sense. And, and so, you know, at, at the same time, it becomes a celebration of, of, of people. And, and, and individuals. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be doing throughout the whole health system, uh, starting actually next week, going throughout the entire summer. Um, and uh, I, th I think as organizations uh, really have to have a finger on the pulse of what our, what our team members are feeling. Uh, and hopefully all organizations are doing some sort of surveying or a pulse surveying of their team members to get a better sense of, you know, how are, how are you doing? Um, how can we support you? What is our promise to you? And how do we sort of execute upon that? And, and, and that's what we're in the process of doing right now. I do one follow-up. How do we as leaders of teams make sure that those, that those people that we're playing with actually know that it's okay to tell us that they're not okay? Because I know a lot of people that aren't okay and they don't feel that they can really share the fullness of it because Frankly, they're nervous about their positions, right? So, you know, and I think um, uh, uh, we, re we view it sometimes as weakness, right? If I show that I am emotional, uh, if I show that, um, that uh, I'm hurting, uh, am I not as strong? Uh, you know, uh, similarly, you know, we were talking about um, uh, time off and just making sure that we take time off as leaders and we tell our teams we're off because what's the, one of the things I think that is marked by these last 15 months is this remote work. Yeah, fine. But <laughs> you're on for, you know, 18, 19 hours of the day, you're answering emails in the middle of night, but can you take time to really be off? I give our, our new head of HR uh, credit for this one. You know, uh, on Friday afternoons, we shut it down. And what do I mean by shut it down? We're not having meetings. People are still working. People are still, you know, talking with staff, but forcing them to engage in a slightly different way, not being beholden to the Zoom, uh, not being beholden to the Teams meeting or whatever the modality may be, but rather uh, taking that initiative uh, to allow people the moment to just sort of recoil. Um, because we're stretching, stretching, stretching. Uh, and I think we've got to be cognizant. We can still be innovative. We can still have speed. Uh, but we've got to be uh, sensitive to allowing people the time to recoil. Thank you. No, thank you for that question, Scott. And, you know, as I think about what you've just mentioned, um, I'll kind of pivot here and say, you know, one of the things that we learned <clears throat> uh, in 2020 uh, is that um, beyond the obvious is that we're, we've been burnt out for a while. And we have played in our lanes 
for much too long. In other words, it's okay for us to admit that we don't have all the answers in healthcare, in corporate, in higher education, that we have this realization now that at least what we found is that everyone really is solving for the same things, Joe. It just packaged differently. We call you know, patients, patients in healthcare. We call them students in higher ed. No, we call them consumers in, in corporate. Though in healthcare now, we call them consumers too. Uh, but we're fundamentally solving for the same things, just using different vernacular depending upon uh, the sector. So it's become very evident uh, that we need each other and we need to co-design the future together. How is you know, Northwell's business model evolving given the understanding that partnerships are critically important? They're not optional. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll describe this from two angles. One, um, you know, as we think of our digital strategy, um, it is clear uh, that the level of uh, uh, investment that we need to get to where we want to get to uh, yeah. is going to require a lot more partnerships. Uh, there's just digitally native organizations that are you know, if I may, to be crude about it, have much deeper pockets than we do, have been at it for much longer periods of time, um, and have, uh, you know, more uh, engineering uh, prowess than, than, than we do. Um, and so, but yet at the same time, just as you described, we have something that they want too. Right. Uh, we have the, the, these, these patients, we have these facilities, we have these uh, uh, data needs that, um, we can be a good partner as well. Um, and it can be a two-way uh, street in terms of value added to both organizations. Absolutely. Some, and sometimes to uh, get power, you have to relinquish some power. So um, I think it forces us to think differently. We, you know, we shouldn't feel like we need to own everything. And quite frankly, we can't. Uh, so, so that's sort of one perspective. The second perspective I'll give from a business structure you mentioned some of our strategic initiatives. We started a company called Northwell Direct. Northwell is a direct-to-employer strategy that really aims to uh, 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 cut out the, the cut out the, the middleman, if you will, uh, and and that is sometimes the managed care companies and going right to the employer to solve for what they are looking to solve for. And what are they looking to solve for? It's really two key items. One, they want to lower their costs. Uh, healthcare is too expensive. So how can we help them do that? Uh, the second is how do we enhance the experience? Uh, all employers, small, medium, and large, are competing on experience, are competing on engagement. And we believe uh, when we go directly to the employer and we work with them, we partner with them on how to solve that, uh, like, uh, like we are doing currently with Whole Foods, com uh, companies like that, companies like JetBlue, uh, we are... Uh, we're meeting them where we are, but it's also, it's, it's forming us at the same time. It's, mm -hmm. it's forcing us to think differently about how people access us. It's forcing us to think about how much it actually costs because we're being forced to have a different kind of negotiation around yep. price. Yeah. Uh, it's forcing us to think differently around the type of, uh, I'll call it curated experience uh, that organization wants to have within a healthcare organization. So, so, Joe, let's go back to this. You said something that caught my attention. You says uh, we need to give away power to get more power. Is that accurate somewhat? Yeah. Okay. So 
to give away power. Um, this kind of makes me think of the hybrid working environment uh, for some for the reasons that you'll understand. There needs to be a lot of trust in that process. Uh, what are your views around trust uh, today, given what you've experienced over the last 50 yeah, you know, when we went into this hybrid work model, or, or, or I wouldn't even call it hybrid, when we went into full remote, uh, we had about 30,000 people working remote uh, at, the, at its height. We wound up sort of leveling out at around 10,000. And we had some leaders who would come to us and say, uh, this is a problem. I need to get them back in the office. I need to be able to track their every, every movement, their productivity. Uh, how can we ping them to, to determine how long they're on their computers? And you sort of, uh, you, know, you sort of, uh, just you know, ask them to take a time out, just breathe. Uh, what makes you think that they're not doing their work? Uh, well, I called them and they didn't answer. Okay. Um, do they have kids? They do. Uh, are their kids elementary or are they high school or are they pre-elementary? Um, and then you get the answer. It's like, it, they're elementary. Well, have you ever thought about what they're struggling at this point in time? Uh, you know, to be a parent with elementary level kids uh, during the pandemic working remote, I don't know how anybody, um, hmm. it's amazing. Uh, and so let's, let's lead with uh, um, positive intent um, and let's lead with uh, looking at the broader picture, not just being able to track someone's every hour, but rather the total work product. To me, that's a better um, evaluation of productivity than what someone did in the course of an hour, how many phone calls did they answer, how many uh, uh, consumers uh, were triaged, uh, but rather looking at it uh, from a little bit of a broader view. Um, and I think through that, you start to develop trust. And it's a two-way street, of course. Uh, can I trust you to do the work that we've brought you on to do? Uh, can you trust me that I'm not gonna be looking over your shoulder uh, every second of the day? And it's a journey. So, how, I mean, let's go back to something you mentioned earlier. Where did, and again, I say this respectfully, Joe, but it sounds to me that maybe we lost a little faith in our culture if we started to think about our people that way. And when, and when did the culture finally wake us up to say, hey, we're going to be okay? I, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, you know, I think um, you, we talk so much about culture. And then when you put it to the test, what is your retreat? Is your retreat to then take control or is it to give control? Um, and look, uh, people being what they are, sometimes uh, it, you, know, you feel like you know what's in front of you. Um, uh, and uh, you know, our job as leaders, I think, is to sort of continue to push and help see and, and then hopefully preserve our, what what we believe to be our culture uh, uh, throughout this process. We, as an example, at Northwell, so now we're talking about these hybrid work models. We're going to, there are, as I like to say, there are no all or none. No one's coming back who is in a shared service space. Uh, obviously, the hospital's practices are, are different. Um, but no one's coming, no one's always working remote, and no one's never coming back to the office. It's this notion of collaboration. Uh, flexibility in the workspace uh, and it being about uh, the work and not the workplace. Hmm. Um, and I think it, 
to your exact question, it's taking some time for people to get comfortable with. But I think when you go back and you challenge them and say, but you've been doing it for a year, why do you feel it has to change now? Um, and you just keep challenging them with those kinds of questions, they begin to realize, yeah, you know what? In fact, it's about me, it's not about them. And you say, okay, fine, now that we've agreed, uh, how do we change you? So well put, Joe. And it's interesting because what, what we've learned in our research is that we people have learned, and we've been actually wanting them to be more this way, but people have learned that they are very capable, maybe not all people, but most people are capable of being self-directed. And, but yet the leader is unprepared for that shift. Isn't that interesting? And so I, I share that with you because, you know, when we talk about, you know, how we need to live with an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, especially as we're trying to thrive in these times of uncertainty. And here we are, that happened automatically last year. And why can't we sustain that, right? That should be at least something that we should all be considering. I mean, we really empowered uh, individuals, our employees with a greater sense of trust, but a greater sense that they will figure it out. And maybe it's not the way we want them to figure it out, but maybe they'll introduce new ways of how, how we can all be individual, uh, better individual contributors. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I, and I think what you're speaking to then gets to how do we bring them back to hear some of the ideas that they then have? So making it more yeah. about collaborative space. We bring people in, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once every couple of weeks. And you say, what are the challenges you have? And okay, then you start to uh, find, well, people are saying, well, I need dual monitors. Um, uh, or I need, uh, I need my own cell phone. And rather than putting up the resistance first to say, you don't need more stuff. Um, you didn't have it when you were here, ask them about the, dig deeper into those questions. Uh, what, what are the challenges that they are experiencing? How do they feel this will make them more efficient? Uh, have they seen it make others be more efficient? Getting a little bit more into the understanding that, as opposed to the resistance uh, of these ideas. Um, and that's, that's what these workplaces then become, a place of sort of almost debriefing uh, and then uh, collaboration uh, and, and hopefully innovation at the end of the day. Well, Joe, if we can do what you just said, you know what we're going to help minimize a little bit at a time over time is our challenges with mental health, our challenges with our physical health, our social health. When we can reach that level of intimacy, trust, trust, that's when you know workplaces and organizations uh, will begin to thrive. So guys, we've gone way over, but it's, this has been a dynamic conversation. I thank you for your time, Joe. Any final uh, comments, Scott? And then I'm going to ask you the same, Joe. Sure. I just, I'll, do, I'll do one on just the concept of culture, because I think it's something we've circled around to again and again as, as an important piece of moving forward, right? And I just want to think about it in a little bit more of an anthropological sense and even a social sense, right? Uh, a collective sense more so than business strategy. Um, I want to warn us about thinking about a culture because we do need culture, but unless we really get specific about what we mean by that, we're going to totally do the exact opposite. We are going to alienate and we are going to make people unauthentic because they're going to have to fit the culture. 
I think one of the most important things we together can do for ourselves as leaders, as individuals, as people with families, is to recognize that there isn't a single um, version of this culture. It's cultures. So even if I'm at Fairfield University, or even if you know you name wherever you're at, there isn't a singular culture. And what it is is we're an assemblage of culture, just like our species, and as an assemblage of individuals. And so while there is a Fairfield culture, that is a terrible stereotype that none of us want to aspire to. But you know what? There are so many subcultures that feed in and make Fairfield, at least for me, what it is and what I like about it. But it's not the culture, it's the cultures that are there. And so I would encourage us to think about when we talk about, say, our organization's culture, to think about the fact that we don't have a singular culture. And by not having a singular culture, we're not alienating people and making them feel inauthentic because they don't quite fit the bill. Um, and maybe that's, I guess I'll just stop there because we went too long. But anyway, no, I want to no. thank you. Leader with positive intent, you're amazing. I love you, goalie leader. <laughs> Joe, you don't have to react to stop. You can, but what are your final comments as we close? Yeah, no, I know. It's been great having this dialogue with the both of you. I think uh, uh, Glenn, uh, thought provoking and provocative uh, as always. And Scott, uh, great to sort of have this dialogue with you. I think, yeah, it, it makes me think more deeply around the ecosystem uh, that we try to create uh, around us, around, in our organization, and, and, and the way in which we do that. So uh, your comments are well taken. Well, uh, before I close, I just want to let everyone know that Joe will be a speaker at our 2021 uh, leadership in the age of personalization summit. In fact, you'll be able to meet Scott because he'll be right there with you, uh, Joe. Awesome. So um, we're really looking forward to that. And we can talk more about uh, Northwell Direct at that time as well. So uh, as we always close, when we lead in the age of personalization, we will see things that others don't do what others won't and pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you very much, Joe. Greatly appreciate your time and thought leadership. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.